This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Paraswap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching another awesome episode of Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's Web3, technology, investing, research. We get to talk to leaders. We get to talk to brilliant people. We get to talk to some of the, the craziest, but also the most brilliant people in the whole entire world to really understand how this movement came to be, where we are now, and where we're going. But what's happening is there's so many of these trends, mega trends. We have coronavirus, we have inflation, we have oil and gas. There's, there's, all, you know, there's this huge disconnect between the stock market and the economy. It doesn't make sense. We read that you know, there's all this crazy inflation or like people are getting poor or poverty, but at the same time, we're being told that our economy is the strongest it's ever been. It's very confusing. There's so much discomfort. I don't really know what's going on. But today, to talk to us about actually what is going on, Brian Hunt, the CEO of Investor Place. Brian, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, super excited. I love talking with you. Uh, so looking forward to brainstorming. You've, you've given me this awesome opportunity to work for you over the last year and a half. And it's been one of the most fulfilling work that I've ever had. Um, Investor Place is one of America's largest Longest standing independent research financial firms started over 40 years ago by business visionaries. Investor Place publishes detailed research and recommendations for self directed investors, financial advisors, money managers. And we've launched the Crypto Investor Network together over a year ago. We have like tens of thousands of, of amazing members and readers who really love what we do. But really, You've been kind of steering the investor play ship for so long. You, you worked at, at Longfellow Drilling before, so you really understand kind of oil and natural gas. There's a lot of different topics that we can talk about today. And my crypto listeners really understand like consensus algorithms. They understand proof of work, proof of stake. We're, we're in the rabbit world of like all these NFTs and things like that. I want to pull this out and talk to you about like kind of a big topic that you talk about a lot is proof of brain. and Proof of brain is this idea that our skill, and this is your quote, I'm going to read it, skills and knowledge are the wellspring of your, that your wealth will flow from. And you really talk about that a lot, like, like us as individuals, and, and this term like self-directed investor. But I think your view is that we should all be self-directed in life, not just with investing. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the hardest things to do is, uh, is to think and make your own decisions. And that's why most people don't actually want to do that. They might say, uh, you know, I want to be in complete control of my life, but it's actually really hard. But, you know, once if you turn your brain on, you, you take the red pill and yeah. you start learning about real knowledge and then you can be in control of your, your own life. There's like there's so much discomfort now in the world because we were told things, we learn things, but then we see and it's it's completely different. Like, you know, there was always this huge disconnect between financial literacy and proper money management. Do you think now, do you think where we are right now is the most important time for, for people to really start paying attention to their futures? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just did a company-wide, uh, I guess, broadcast uh, yesterday where I, I shared 
what I believe is is something of a ter- terrifying financial forecast for the next 10 years that for a lot of people. And it's something I've nicknamed the age of chaos. Some people say the 20s will be wonderful, the yeah. roaring 20s. Some people say they'll be terrible, the terrible 20s. My forecast is, you know, I believe is the correct one. Of course, all of us forecasters believe sure. we're right. But uh, I believe the, the 20s are going to be among the, the most chaotic decade that we've ever seen uh, in American history. And depending on your skill set and where your, your vantage point, that's either super exciting, it's going to be filled with opportunity, which it will. It'll be filled with extraordinary opportunity. Or it's absolutely terrifying. And the reason I believe things will be so chaotic is because of two gigantic forces that are we've never seen before. They're extraordinary, they're gigantic, and they're slamming into the world at the same time right now. One is exponential technological progress, yeah. which is kind of like the wellspring of, of crypto and blockchain innovation. And also, you know, the wellspring of self-driving cars, AI, um, you know, renewable energy. And, and so most people don't understand how fast technology is changing and, and how the, the speed of change is about to speed up. And the, the other thing that's slamming into the world, and, and these two forces are coming together in like this giant river confluence. The other one is this, we're in the middle of the greatest monetary experiment in the history of mankind. I agree, yeah. Central banks are, 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 are printing money like crazy. You know, it really began in earnest post-2008. Uh, in response to the financial crisis, uh, and of course, it's really kicked into high gear in response to COVID. But uh, now people have got this taste of of free money, like sent directly from the government. And I believe we've kind of crossed the Rubicon in terms of psychology of what people expect governments to do. Now, so many people believe you can't let anything bad happen, government. You can't let a recession happen. You can't let a bear market happen because we're all you know, a bunch of... Uh, yeah. And so you've got this extraordinary amount of money printing uh, slamming into the world at the same time as exponential progress, and they're feeding off of each other. Uh, you know, so this stimulus, the low rates, that allows venture capitalists to fund innovators uh, at when the cost of capital is as at the lowest we've ever seen. And so these things are, are just extraordinary, and they're happening right now, and most people don't understand them but they will cause, I believe, the cycles of boom and bust to speed up, and they'll cause incredible bull bull markets while at the same time bear markets. And so it's going to be really chaotic, but for me, uh, I'm extraordinarily excited because I've trained my whole life for this. It's like the, the Super Bowl is about to start, yeah. and I've trained. So, uh, and, and to get back to your question is, I feel like that's why people have to really take control of their finances their, and their lives and, and really make sure they're on the right side of these monumental forces. How? Like, it, it's, it's such a complicated thing because I almost ask myself every day, what's the future of the dollar? You know, I'm, I'm pricing everything in dollars. Uh, we have all of our assets. You can borrow against your assets. But you rely on this, like, the last fiat domino, as you call it, or, you know, or whatever. What is, that's I kind of the, the scariest thing that I think about over the next 20 years, where does the dollar fit into all of this? Because like you said, money is going to continue being printed. It's, we're going to print probably another 75, we're, we're going to double our money supply like for, than it was a decade ago. It's just yeah. going to be double. Yeah. And the, the people at the top that have been printing at the behest of, of really like the folks at the bottom, 
and money is cheap. So folks who have a lot of assets can borrow against him yeah. at 1% and just get unlimited money. Money is cheap. Money is yeah. basically free now if you have it already. But if you don't, getting some of it, it's almost impossible. Yeah. You know, people complain about wealth inequality and the haves and the have-nots. And a big part of this is the central bank monetary policy. Yeah. Rich people know how to take advantage of all that cheap money. Uh, poor people typically don't. And so it's fueling wealth inequality. Um, as far as the uh, a dollar forecast, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people that, that thinks, you know, that we're going to be pushing around wheelbarrows for a Yeah, no, me neither. But I, I do think that we've entered a new era of debasement and inflation where, you know, over the last 20 years, or for a 20-year period starting in around 2000s, we all got you. We all got used to about two percent annual inflation, and but a lot of us, it's easy to forget. In the '70s, the average inflation rate was about seven and a half. Some years it was ten percent, and it was absolute chaos. And in the '80s and '90s, we averaged around three and a half percent, which is it doesn't sound like a That's lot, a but it's it, it's 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 pretty significant. And so I think we could go back. To that era of the 80s and 90s where we're seeing inflation at three and a half, four percent year over year. Yeah. Yeah. And even at that rate, your cash is like a melting ice cube inside your bank account. So do you want to keep your cash in uh, in a melting ice cube that the government is shaving four percent a year off? Or do you want to put it into productive assets? That, uh, in 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 college, I learned like there's two different types of economies. You have uh, consumption-based economies, and then you have ones where, you know, it's it's based on people constantly spending, 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 the melting ice cube in your bank account. Then you have the opposite. Like, I was learning about the Japanese economy at the time, which was, like, so hell-bent on saving, you know. In fact, the Japanese government couldn't get people to spend money. They need to, like, incentivize them because mm -hmm. that economy was so based on saving. And now we know, actually, the perfect thing is the perfect of the two. And yeah. growing up, I love the fact that at least... I knew that this ice cube wasn't melting and our textbooks would teach us and our parents would tell us and the media we'd read and we'd watch on TV and we all watched Hollywood movies growing up and we looked at money saving. The dollar is not this melting ice cube, but it is now. Over the past two years, it's been this like melting ice cube. So those who, where their futures are not like tied to that, at least like where if you own a piece of property, and if the dollar goes away or if there's like crazy hyperinflation, the value of your property will always rise with that. What do you talk to the person who owns the, the HVAC business or, or the company where their asset, they don't have any assets. They just kind of earn income and they, they live and they, they spend and they try to save. But what they're saving doesn't really amount to anything. Yeah, it's, it's tough. My message to, to really anyone is, you know, acquire the skills uh, the skills and habits that will allow you to earn money. And once you do that, you know, don't be an idiot and blow yeah. it on an expensive house. Don't be an idiot on blowing it on a car that you can't afford. Um, you know, save it for future consumption, but, you know, don't keep too much of it in cash because, you know, the melting ice cube concept. Um, you know, learn about, learn about the future and park your wealth in assets that can appreciate that can, you know, rise uh, in lockstep with the, the debased dollar. And that's, stocks are kind of an inflation pass-through vehicle because 
if you own a good business like Microsoft, story, yeah. Microsoft can raise its prices alongside inflation. So, uh, and I'm not I'm not pounding the table on on Microsoft or anything, but you know, learn learn what assets will appreciate in this environment that I believe is is completely driven by technological progress. Uh, so that's that would be my. So what do you mean by that? I, I really want to get into this a little bit more because uh, the listeners really need to understand, and I need to understand sometimes. Uh, uh, what type of assets, like, like that's a perfect example. I never really thought about you own a piece of a company and that company can just raise prices yeah. so, so you're in good shape. What other type of assets do you think could be safe for the next, not safe, but for the next 10 years where it's like at least the, the ice cube is not melting as fast as keeping money in the bank account? Yeah, the, you know, the old saying in money management business, is uh, you know diversification is the only free lunch on Wall Street, and I typically try to steer clear of Wall Street cliches uh, because they're often yeah harmful to the individual investor. But in this case, I do think uh, diversifying is a really good idea because I like to think I'm a smart guy. I like to think I'm a good forecaster, but I don't know exactly what's going to happen, and nobody else does. Nobody else does uh, either, and so. I think it makes sense to split your money up into maybe four or five tranches. One would be real estate. It could be your house. It could be an apartment yeah. building. And and then one tranche could be uh, wealth preserve, preservation vehicles like Bitcoin. And and I'm also a little old fashioned. I do I do own crypto, uh, a lot of it, uh, but I also own gold. Sure. And I, I do think gold will have another day in the sun. But um, and then another portion of your money can be in businesses that could be private business, it, private businesses. It could be just in the S&P 500. And then you could have a, a portfolio of maybe global macro bets or really high risk venture capital bets. Yeah. And so but the, the message would be is that um, I, I don't think someone who should just go all in on one thing. I don't think someone should just go all in on, say, artificial intelligence stocks or all in on gold. Uh, although some people do and do very well, I just think that's that's higher risk. Yeah. Most people are willing to, uh, should bear. But I, what what is the, uh, it's, it's in the Talmud, I believe. There was the asset allocation. A 30, device. 30, 30 or something. 30, yeah, it was like a third, a third, you know, so... Um, I literally follow my life, our life, like financial world is very like that. And now that I'm thinking about, someone asked me where I got that 30, 30, 30 from or whatever. And I guess because I grew up like studying the Talmud so much, now in my head, I see where that, that came from. Yeah, you own some businesses, own some land, yeah, own some cash, you know, some hard money, like, uh, you know, maybe digital hard money. But uh, that, that diversified um, portfolio is a good idea. Now, I'll also say... This kind of sounds like I'm backtracking. Uh, backtracking on what I just said is, you know, that is for. I think that advice is for relevant for a lot of people, but you know, there's going to be some industries with just tremendous tailwinds that I believe their ascension is inevitable. It's preordained, like um, quantum computing. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, just uh, electric vehicles, self-driving vehicles, AI. And tokenization is just going to be absolutely massive. You know, if you're young, you're 25, you're 30, you're 35, you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, obligations, 
I think some of these industries, if you're a specialist in it, maybe an entrepreneur or just a really knowledgeable investor, I think there's some of these things where you can put 50% of your portfolio, maybe 100%, maybe 200%. Go big. You know, because let's face it, Jeff Bezos didn't get rich by diversifying. It's true. He made a big-ass bet on online commerce. And uh, he saw, he saw, though, he saw, like, this mega trend, though. Yeah. Jeff saw this mega trend, and um, I'm head deep in Bitcoin and crypto. I'm in the rabbit hole. The listeners are, too. And I always thought that, going back 10 years now, that Bitcoin and crypto were the mega trend. But I'm learning now that it's just part of this larger shift in society. You know, do you kind of see that too? Do you see crypto as just one mega trend amongst others? Like you said, that like there's a whole shift in in how we do things. Are we in that pivotal moment? It, it, like humanity, humans right now, is this that like watershed moment where we're gonna be looking back now and where people are saying, I missed the early 2000s before the internet even came along? Yeah, I do believe the the mother trend that gives life to all to battery technology, blockchain technology, AI is exponential progress. You know, for for decades, computing power advanced at relatively modest rates. Yeah. And our entire economy is built on a foundation of computing power. Smartphones, you know, computers, uh, space technology, you know, uh, communications, it's all it's all based on computing power. And now this critical ingredient of our economy, it, you know, because of Moore's law, like the, the progress of computing power is now really snowballing on itself. And quantum computing could just turbocharge that. So it's all, it's all snowballing in power and speed. Our computers are getting so much faster, so much more powerful, while at the same time getting cheaper and smaller. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And so that's giving life to all of these mind-blowing new technologies, and it's, it's creating incredible wealth. I, I believe this is the, the beating heart of why the FANG stocks are worth trillions. It's why Bill Gates and Elon Musk are the world's richest people. And so, um, you know, exponential progress is, is at the heart of all these things. And it's giving life to blockchain and artificial intelligence and, and space technology. And it's just causing mind-blowing advances all over the place. And the rate of change is only going to speed up. And the crazy thing is, I see, I, I, I see this as clear as day. It dominates my thinking. And whenever I talk to institutional investors about this or professional stock analysts, they look at me like a, a dog that I showed a card trick to. Yeah, that's they, what I don't get. They think that everything is just kind of slow. It's growth. It's continuing to, to do this thing. But you've been teaching people financial research for, for 10, for, I don't, you know, I don't want to show your age or anything, but for a long time, long time you've, been, yeah. you've been teaching people pre-retail influx, pre-Robin Hood. Yeah. I mean, this term self-directed investor it's another one of those things where you have to have literacy for yourself because, again, like the financial managers of the world, the hedge funds of the world, the mutual funds, the VCs, the private equity, the guy who, who's the, the, the uh, fund manager on, on the street corner of Main Street where you live, they want to manage your money. They want to manage your money. They want to put it into a 6-7%, take 2%, and give you 4 mm -hmm. But really, you've been doing this with, with self-directed investors for for years, it comes down to, to financial literacy, it comes down to money management. What scares me, and I'd like if you can give some advice to these people, is I know a lot of people now who have been downloading uh, apps and been buying into random stocks that they hear from their personal trainer or their friends and things like that. Why is that wrong? Like, why shouldn't 
why shouldn't we be like just going into like mega tech cap stocks and kind of going crazy? Yeah, well, uh, I, my first piece of advice for someone who's maybe considering getting into the market and being a self-directed investor is don't do what I did. <laughs> what did you do? I, I, I paid a very expensive tuition. I started trading stocks in the late 90s during the, the internet boom. And the worst thing in the world happened to me in the first year. I made a fortune doing it. I had immediate, huge success. And, and I thought to myself, oh, just a couple more years of this and I'll be 25 years old and I'll be retired yeah. uh, in Bali, you know? And, 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 you know, hubris, I confuse brains with the bull market. And I, I bought one of the leading stocks of the day was JDS Uniphase. You might remember that name. It was, it's a legendary tech winner of the late 90s. And I made 400% on it in less than a year. But the, the, the negative thing in my mind was I had only put $800 into that one. But it went up 400%. Yeah. So it's a 5x win. And I thought, why fart around with small position sizes? And, and I, I found this, this new stock that I really liked. And like, why, why, fart, why mess around with the small oh, So you got excited. Size? So I went almost all in on one stock. And at the time, I, I didn't know anything about position sizing, you know, sizing your positions intelligently. I didn't know anything about stop losses, risk limiting. I, I made every almost every mistake in the book on that one stock. I went way too big. I also, I didn't know spit really about the company that I was buying. Yeah. And, and also, the, the Federal Reserve was starting to raise rates at the time and were kind of taking away the punch bowl. So, on that one trade, you know, I, I, I was investing in something I didn't really know about. I went way too big, and all I thought about was the upside. I didn't think for a second about what the potential downside is. So, yeah, that's yours. And so I, I think that, and it was, uh, and I lost a ton of money. The mm. stock went, lost 50%. Really? And I, I lost more Oh, money. no. I lost more money that year than I made in my job. And it was humiliating, and uh, you know, just my my friends knew that that happened to me, and it, it was it was very painful and very humiliating. And so I think some of the lessons learned, you know, in the old "don't do what I did" is, you know, if if you're new to investing and you maybe got ten thousand dollars and you don't you don't really know what's going on, don't put all that ten thousand dollars at work all at once. Maybe take two thousand dollars and you know, learn the emotions associated with investing in crypto or stocks, because it really will play with your mind. And, and I think that's, that's a way for people to kind of have training wheels. Just, yeah. Just learn, learn the craft, learn what's going on. But, you know, just don't do it with all of your money. What's that's just crazy. What's, you mentioned bet sizing, and I actually read a quote this morning, just this morning, that said that the, the hidden talent in crypto, the best traders are the ones who know how to properly do this thing like bet sizing or yeah. knowing what I had never heard of that before. What does that mean? Yeah, so the probably the most influ influential financial book of my life is a book called Market Wizards. And it came out in the late 80s. And it's it's not really a conventional book. It's it's just a collection of interviews with the greatest traders and investors at the time. People like Paul Tudor Jones. Did they, did they update that book? I wonder if there's a yeah, modern. Yeah, there's, there's been five or six um, you know, new versions of it over the years. It was so popular and so influential. And so this, the, the author, Jack Schweiger, interviewed probably over a dozen traders and investors from all walks of life, 
using all kinds of different strategies. There were there were stock investors, there were commodities traders, there were currency traders, and just and there were momentum stock traders. Just they it ran it ran the gamut. And the the thing that blew me away is almost all of them said, you know, it doesn't really what what I know about my strategy. Like I might know a lot about the oil market, or I might know a lot about the for, the forex market, but really the driver of my success is risk limiting money management and position sizing. They all said the same thing. And well, what's what's risk what is risk limiting? What's position sizing? Position sizing is very simply it's the amount of money that you put into one position relative to to your to your overall portfolio. So if you have $100,000 to invest and you put $10,000 into an investment, your position size relative to, to your yeah. overall portfolio is 10%. And the the huge mistake that I made, you know, back in, back in the day where I paid my tuition was I I put almost 75% of my money into one stock, which is really really stupid. And so a lot of professional traders will the max that they'll put into one position is 5%. And so, you know, there's an expression, keep your bets small in order to win big. And, you know, the, the key behind position sizing is you never want to go so big that can, you can suffer a catastrophic loss yeah. and get knocked out of the game. And it really causes psychological trauma. to. to yeah, it's to when, you, when you do like too big of an investment, you get too emotional about it, too. Yeah. I know exactly the certain type of investment number in my head, like, if there's a new business or a token or a company or a stock that I want to get involved with over like a long term, I kind of have like a number in my head that I'm comfortable with that if it's if it's a win, I'll win, win big. But if it's a loss, then it's okay. Like that's not the end of the world or whatever. And there's a lot of other like, I think also like working with your accountant and understanding like how taxes work and then how your tax system works and then you can affect your saving and your spending based on that and then also there's there's a lot of different like things that you can do to to protect your future yeah and and the 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 industries and the assets you and I are passionate about is is really important the position sizing is really important because we're talking about assets that that you know a lot of investments that I make I know they could go to zero there's speculative but uh, the potential upside is 10x, 20x, 20x. Yeah. So you got these enormous asymmetric risk reward profiles where, sure, you can lose 100% of your money and people, oh, like that sounds like crazy risky. Well, yeah, but the upside, potential upside is like 20x. Yeah. And so taking what I call a venture capitalist mindset is really, really important when it comes to bet sizing in things like crypto and early stage technology stocks and, and private investments where... The, the world's best venture capitalists, they might buy a hundred different companies. Yeah. And they know that over half of them are going to zero. Sorry to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming, but I wanted to tell you guys that if you're using PancakeSwap, Uniswap, DYDX, SushiSwap, you're doing it wrong. You need to be using PowerSwap because PowerSwap is a user interface, a decentralized smart contract platform that sits on top of all of these. And when you go to Paraswap or untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap, because they're refunding your gas, if you go there, then you'll be able to, on top of Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, and Polygon, look for the best prices for your tokens and swap and do everything in one predefined transaction 
on chain instead of having to do the approval to this token, to that token, to do all these different things. Paraswap does it all for you. It's decentralized. They just released their API version five that you can see everything. It's all open source. Very cool stuff. Untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap. If you're using any of the other decentralized protocols, you're doing it wrong because you need to be using the routing, beautiful Paraswap routing system, and it's fully decentralized too. It's gorgeous. Talk to you guys soon. I never understood that's actually how venture capitalists work. I thought that they have this bucket of money and you show up and you pitch your company and they invest if they like you. But it's actually like they have a fund and then they know that they're going to be investing, like let's just say it's a $2 million fund, $100,000 a business. So you have 20 businesses. They know that only like three or four need to like really, really hit it big. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of crazy. And so like a lot of research services will put out a research report. They'll have one you know, recommendation or one different trend. I've noticed that with the Crypto Investor Network that we've been doing together, but with also the other type of research that you guys do, oil and commodities and, and gold and silver and stocks and all these different, the power portfolios, all these different things, we're always doing like four or five at a time. Whenever we yeah. put a research report out, we're always doing four or five at a time. We never yeah. just put out just one. And I like that. I, I really like that. Yeah, I I, th I think that's a key to making to, to having the right risk reward profile when it comes to investing in a in a big trend and 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 I often call these trends inevitables, blockchain mm. inevitable, electric vehicles inevitable, quantum computing inevitable, DNA sequencing inevitable. Oh yeah, I forgot about that and, too. And so a lot of people they they hear about one industry, you know, from their uh, from a guy at work or their brother. Oh, like quantum computing is going to be really big, or DNA sequencing and and the treatments of ah. is going to be really big. And so they think, okay, well, I'll buy one stock to bet on this inevitable trend. Or, and 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 when it comes to early stage investing in these giant trends, buying one stock is crazy risky. I think it's far smarter in the early days of these things to find four or five, six, yeah. seven, eight companies spread the risk. But at the same time, you're not buying an ETF, which could have a hundred companies and 50 of them are crappy. 80 of them are crappy. And some of them don't even really aren't pure they play. do anything anyway. Yeah. So I feel like this basket approach that, you know, that we've really been the leaders on, I think in our industry and really emphasizing that this, this basket approach where you're buying, Three, four, five, six, eight uh, companies to diversify your risk, but you're not you're not diversifying it so much that you're super diluted. Um, so, I think that I think that's a smart way to play these mega trends that that we call inevitable. You've uh, uh, you've talked to me a lot about price discovery, and we've talked a lot about tokenization. Do you think that? Do you think like every asset will and should be tokenized, and that's kind of how crypto uh, made its huge effect on the economy. We'll have better price discovery. We'll have better being able to trade off assets. You'll be able to great, create tokens that represent like 25% of each different industry together, like you know, baskets where tokens represent multiple different things. Is that kind of where we're going? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the most mind-blowing so cool. things yeah. in all of technology and all, all of crypto. And we... Our informal nickname for this is the Own Anything Revolution. Because when I explain tokenization to non-investors, non-technologists, it can be hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. Because 
They're like, what, what, what do you mean I can own anything? Well, blockchain technology is going to make it so you can own anything. Really? What do you mean? A sports team. Yeah. Someone's earnings power. Uh, you know, real estate, a Picasso, a Rolls Royce, fine wine. You know, Damien Hurst, uh, you know, art. You know, we'll be able to tokenize everything and chop the fractional ownership slices uh, of anything. And this is one of the biggest financial revolutions in human history. Um, it's we also kind of say it's like capitalism or it's ownership 2.0, where you know a thousand years ago, oh, this is interesting. Capitalism didn't really exist. You know, the the guy in the castle owned everything, and most people are a serf. You don't yeah. own anything, and if you try to get uppity and own something, well, we'll just cut your head off. Well, okay, you know, the the formation of America really really gave life to this idea that you can own the fruits of your labors, and and people. Millions of people from all over the world flock to America because, oh, I can own, I can own things, you know, uh, I can own the fruits of my labor. That sounds awesome. And bang, you know, it's it's the greatest wealth creation experiment in mankind. But but there were a lot of assets for hundreds of years that a lot of people couldn't own. You know, we we did chop up ownership in companies, fractional ownership, and uh, but as far as a Picasso or a premier. Uh, you know, condo in New York. Yeah. You know, or or a port. An NFL team or something NFL like that. Team. Yeah. A port is a great example of one, yeah. actually. Yeah. They most of these things are they're so expensive that a single one is priced out of the reach of the regular Joe. And so, blockchain technology allowing us to create fractional ownership of basically anything. Like, you can own anything. Yeah. And that is fucking mind blowing. It is going to be so cool, and you and I have talked about all of the opportunities here. It's like you, the opportunities and the companies that are building this world, and then you've got the opportunities of actually owning these these assets that have been you know made available. It's just going to be so so cool. We're we're sitting here in, in Baltimore, Maryland. It's I'm bullish on Baltimore. I love that you live here. Uh, the office is here, and, and everyone who lives here. My wife is from the area, and so I've been coming here a lot for a long time, and I and I. I look at the city and I'm like, you know, this is one of the oldest cities in America. It's beautiful, some of the best people, but there's just been a lot of corruption and graft with the local government over the last like decade yeah. and so. And there's a revolving door of like, you know, violent crime problems because you have the justice system is very lax and there's distrust with institutions. We look at tokenization, potential smart cities, people owning a piece of the city. You're talking about like, the reinvention of municipal bonds again. Like people get excited yeah. about muni bonds because yeah. they, they will be tokenized. People can invest in like the future of Baltimore. Yeah. I said it like the Baltimore, you know, Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Betting on cities, betting on countries. Like it's cool. Could could someday we tokenize uh, a country? That's it's gonna happen. It's happening yeah. right now. I was actually getting to that. Like that's that's the craziest world because at that point, imagine, imagine being born. Imagine everyone who's born in a country automatically you're born with a token. Yeah. You get you get a you get a piece, you know, you know, real free market libertarians have had this fantasy for yep. 50 years that oh, we could privatize a country and 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 make it shares freely tradable. Hey, blockchain, it's 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 here. It's it uh, hopefully hopefully somebody does it. You're talking about not just so like you go out there and you can you can form like, instead of doing like an ICO, the city can say, hey, we want to build a new parking garage 
or we want to reinvigorate a downtown area. And so people can invest in that token, they can buy a piece of it, and then you're starting to own a piece of like your city slowly. And then what could happen is certain aspects, this token, these NFTs that are individual can start unlocking different keys or you can have different aspects of the city too. You can start voting with that token for different people. You can start like trusting those institutions again because uh, the regulators will be regulated. Like yeah. the, the justice system could actually be on chain. Judges could be on the blockchain. I mean, the, the sky's the limit. So do you think we should be looking at maybe like these kind of cities like Baltimore and some of these others? A lot of people are moving away. They're, they're looking for like, you know, brighter skies or whatever. But I always look at opportunities. So like, is this an opportunity that I should be looking at? I think a, a city's leaders that think in the future and say, we want to be a place that attracts capital, that attracts uh, entrepreneurs. We respect business. We respect property rights. You know, the and we're going to tokenize ourselves and, and we're going to be a destination for capital. Yeah. The, the cities that do that, it's just going to be, it's going to be so cool. The, the, the only, I think the, where investors will have to be very leery is that you've got to make sure that you've got leaders that do res respect that kind of vision or are they, you know, terribly correct, corrupt. And do they think, you know, state power is the answer to everything. Uh, so you want to avoid avoid the totalitarian, yeah. you know, uh, communists and invest with uh, the free market, free mind, capitalist thinkers. What makes a good leader? Oh, I, I think uh, I think it's it's somebody that that you respect. It's somebody that uh, you know. There, I, I can't remember where I where I heard this, but. Uh, I, I I I was not in the military. My dad was in the military, but I, for some reason, I'm a. Oh, so you get some of that threads. I never knew that. I was actually going to ask you. Yeah, you find a lot of military analogies in my in yeah. stuff in my speeches, but um, I uh, I kind of boil it down to, you know, the if you can picture a, a helicopter, uh, you know, a, a soldiers in a helicopter landing, the leader is the first one off of the helicopter. And he's the last one on. And I think that kind of mentality, that respect, that you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be out there, and I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be among taking the biggest risks. I'm going to, you know, put myself in harm's way for, for my people, and and I'm gonna be the last person that gets on. And I, I think that's, I think that kind of, you gotta have, of course, you know, like. Uh, a visionary like Elon Musk, that's awesome in a sure. leader. And uh, but I think if you don't have that character of I'm, you know, I'm here, like I kind of serve my I serve my team. I think uh, you know, if it's a president, you know, a US president, like you gotta think that I'm here to serve the citizens. Or if you're a CEO, like I'm here to serve customers and the employees and the shareholders. Uh, I think that kind of character is is that that's there's that somebody. A lot of humility involved there, though, and humility is a superpower. You have it. Um, I was given some of it by by some of the the actions and the things that have happened to me in my life, but largely, unless you go through like a trauma or you're in the military or you have some like really bad upbringing or things like that, you don't have humility. You it's it, it's a superpower that we all wish we had more of, and 
what advice would you give to people? How, how can we get more humility? Like I want to wake up and I want to be more humble every single day because when you can think outside of yourself, you could just be more successful. You'd be a better person. You could yeah. love, be loved. It's all these different things. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. It's, it, it's a, this is a paradox in my mind because I'm a capitalist Same. and I believe in free markets and I believe in, you know, living your life to the fullest. Yeah, and, and I think communism is about the worst idea humans have ever come up with. But, but also, in my mind, living to provide value to others is... That's how that's how you're gonna be happy. You know, it's not just the like Scrooge McDuck, yeah, just trying to grab everything for yourself. Like you're just gonna be miserable. And so I think I actually it, it's all it kind of sounds like a paradox, but uh, I, I think living living for others and doing good things for others is is kind of the way to achieve personal happiness. Um, so the roots of communism. It's 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 funny that you bring it up because a lot of like early communists and people, I actually Googled yesterday, who still likes communism? I did Google that, I was one, apparently so. <laughs> the rooting of it is, is based in that, like you're, you're living for other people. And I have to say, and, and, I, and I challenge a lot of people to do this, uh, go out and just, and just give or do things for other people without any expectation of getting anything back. Yeah. There's a Jewish term for it called chesed actually. It's where you don't expect anything in return. And I challenge people to go do that because this is another superpower. You get more positive out of life when you're giving than when you're getting. And it's not because you'll get back something. It's not the karma. It's not the I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's not that. It's the actual act of giving is you feel better in that moment. It's a better thing than, than getting. I find I get more joy out of giving than I do out of getting. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of people out there that they don't get this yet, but maybe they'll hear something like this and say, wow, that 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 sounds really cool. I've been a self-centered yeah. able for so long. Like how can I, I was change? too for a long time. And I think it's almost like exercising. You need to exercise it a little bit. You exercise it a little bit, you'll get even better and stronger. So. If you're, if someone out there is a self-centered agent oh. and, and like, hey, just, just spend one minute tomorrow doing something nice for somebody and then do that one minute every day. And then next week, maybe do it for a one minute and 10 seconds. Maybe just, uh, you know, it's kind of like if. if That's good having, advice for everything, really. Yeah. Even financial literacy. Yeah. Like if you're trying to get into a workout pr- program and, and doing a hundred pushups sounds just too much, just, just do one pushup tomorrow. And do one push-up per day for a week. And then maybe next month, do two push-ups. You know, just work up to it. Uh, you know, James Altucher, uh, a friend of mine, he, he put it as, um, if you're having trouble uh, getting into the habit of brushing your teeth, just brush one tooth. That's great. <laughs> I always That's that. great. Like, what a great idea. That's the best advice I've ever heard, yeah. actually. And so it's like, but you can, let's apply that to everything. Let's apply that to, like, anything that you want to learn like if you want to be if you want to figure out how to solve a rubik's cube if you want to be someone that you know you want to be an aficionado in marine biology or whatever just spend one minute a day and then start spending a minute and a half a day and slowly build it up yeah yeah absolutely and with things like that where you say yeah i'm I'm gonna be i'm gonna be really knowledgeable about marine biology or or blockchain or tokenization you you can build up to that and if if you can spend one hour a day on something like that, 
you know, whether it's work or it's a personal, you know, like it's a hobby, but I've always applied it to work. I've always told someone, you know, if you want to get ahead here or anywhere, get in one hour earlier than everybody else and spend that hour. Oh, I like that. You know, learning or writing, you know, if you want to be a great writer, get in early and spend one hour. And if you can do that uh, over, over the course of a year, you know, that's, that's a huge amount of time that you can spend on that. So, Brian Hunt, CEO of Investor Place, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories. You've given us a lot of untold stories, advice, proof of brain, different concepts and things like that. I'm excited for the future. I've been, I've been nervous about the future because I don't like discomfort. I don't like that, that, that like when you're in, we all find ourselves in a box. We like our box. We don't want to think what could happen if you have to start being outside of the box. But kind of every day I talk to you, I feel a little bit more and more comfortable with the future. And you're right, I should be looking at it, and we should all be looking at it as this like huge world of opportunity over the next 10 or 12, 20 years. Yeah, well, well thank you. Uh, this has been great. Let's do it again soon. And uh, please keep, keep, what you're doing, keep up what you're doing, sending out the, the great ideas and the great vibes. And uh, uh, I want to let everyone know, too, that, that we have the Crypto Investor Network as well, and we have so many subscribers and, and readers that love it, too. If you're also interested in other types of research, too, like stocks and commodities and uh, precious metals and things like that, Investor Place has been around for 40 years doing, uh, teaching people how to think for themselves. And so being able to do that for crypto over the last year, year and a half, has been the most fulfilling work I've ever had. So thank you. And, and thank you to the readers and the listeners and everyone who's, who's, who's here right now. Yeah, thank you.